0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. And today, I've got with me someone I've been trying to get on for a little while, Anshul Magotra uh, from Social Innovation Circle. Welcome, Anshul.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today with you.
0: I'm really glad you joined us. Um, uh, you're doing some awesome work with Social Innovation Circle. And um, I really love some of the things that the, the, the team and yourself have have built around supporting early stage founders, building social impact startups. But I like to learn about how you get into these kind of roles for, for listeners who are perhaps coming from traditional banking or um, non-impact kind of related areas. So can you introduce um, uh, to us sort of your, a bit about your background, where you, where you came from and, and uh, what this journey has looked uh, like for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yes, I've, you know, as as you mentioned, so my journey has also been, uh, I started um, my career in banking, actually. So getting into impact, um, I, I would say I sort of stumbled into it. So I grew up in India, I studied in India, I finished my, um, my MBA in India. And after that, I started working in banking. My first job was at Merrill Lynch in Hong Kong, where I was working on equity derivative products. So I did a lot of exotic structuring and sales. And I did that for a few years before uh, the great financial crisis actually crashed oh. out of that out of the market. Uh, <laughs> okay. um, and after that, I moved into corporate and investment banking. And I did that for quite a few years. And uh, I, I, I came to a point where I wanted to do something different. And it wasn't just because, of course, you know, we we've heard about investment banking and the long hours and whatnot. But uh, I just feeling like I wasn't getting worldview I wasn't I wasn't really understanding what else was out there it just feel like I just felt like it was very siloed uh, my life at that point in time where everything was about work all the people that I was meeting was just you know they were just bankers be it an office or outside office and and it really felt that I had no clue about what else was happening outside the world of banking. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so various reasons kind of coming together and I decided to take a clean break from it. Of course, the, the situations were also conducive at that point in time that I could actually leave banking to try out what else was there. And it was, I would say now, when I look back and a lot of people have told me this, it was a courageous decision and, and all of that. Yeah. But yes, it was circumstantial at that point in terms of. Again, the fact that I could do it. So yes, it was risky because I had nothing in my, in my you know, in my back pocket, which is, you know, how usually people change jobs. Uh, but I really just wanted to explore. I really just wanted to meet people and see what else is out there. I wanted to understand what else is going on in the world outside of this space that I had been in for the last seven to eight or, or I think around nine years or so. Mm-hmm. So um, I quit banking. I was in Singapore at that time. And uh, the next few months, I just took the opportunity to meet people. And I met people from all kinds of backgrounds, all sorts of, you know, uh, uh, workplaces and whatnot. And uh, one fine day, I stumbled into somebody from this organization called Ashoka. Mm -hmm. And Ashoka is the largest network of social entrepreneurs globally. And to be honest, at that time, I had not even heard about Ashoka. That was (laughs) my starting point. Yeah, Uh, I had no idea about the social sector. And and um, and and because I was all in for taking you know uh, for learning new things and for for trying out new new avenues, I I thought okay, let me just try to figure out what this 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 is all about. So I started volunteering at Ashoka, and uh, it literally opened my eyes to a new reality. And I again came from this thinking that you know social sector is very direct service that you know most of the things that they do is specifically you know things around building a hospital or providing some sort of relief uh, you know disaster relief and uh, schools and whatnot but what I saw in Ashoka was the kind of work that social entrepreneurs were doing the kind of innovations they were coming up with the kind of business models they were setting up which were really changing the way systems were running right they were they were doing things which were beyond just direct service in fact most of it was Indirect, in the sense it was capable of changing the systems in, in which they were operating. And mm-hmm. it was very, very innovative work. Because one of the mainstays of Ashoka is literally the search and selection of these social entrepreneurs uh, that it calls Ashoka Fellows, who are coming up with the most innovative solutions towards the social and environmental problems we are seeing in the world today. So the, the when I started working with these Ashoka Fellows, I, I it literally blew my mind away. And I, I found it so interesting to learn about these innovations. I started thinking about what is it that I could do over here. I was really enjoying myself. It was new for sure. And in the beginning, it was also a bit of like, oh, am I in the right place? I don't even understand this terminology. What is what is really happening? But as I started working more and more with Ashoka Fellows, I kind of figured out what my role in this space could be, and that mm-hmm. came about as a result of all the conversations that we had. And we figured that, of course, one of the biggest needs for social entrepreneurs, and you know, they are they're amazingly motivated, they are incredibly genius, and you know, they, they are coming up with amazing, amazing ideas. But there is a need for funding, yeah. which is what they struggle with, and you can't expect them to have all the expertise around it as well. They are busy running their organizations mm-hmm. and. They need that support so that they can then raise funding to be able to scale their impact and so I thought this would be a good sort of a fitment for me where I work mm-hmm. with these amazing people and I bring my skills into this and that's when um, and and to be honest at that time it also uh, I would call it luck for that matter but Ashoka had just landed a project with UBS and this oh. was a global project and and it was an impact, you know, investment uh, uh, accelerator. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I since I had just about come on board and they were like, hey, you banker person, you know, why don't you lead this? This is banking <laughs> related. So why don't you yeah. lead the Asia Pacific leg for this? Okay. And that's when I came in touch with uh, the person who was heading the social finance team at Ashoka, who is now my co-founder, my business partner as well. And I knew this was, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to do. I want to work with these amazing people and I want to support them whichever way I can. And possibly the only way I knew how to do so was supporting them in raising funding. Very so cool. I joined that team and um, we worked with like hundreds of social entrepreneurs and supporting them in, in getting investment ready and in buildings you know financially sustainable business models and uh, that was essentially my my journey and and you know how how that sort of pivot took place and eventually that led to the launch of social social innovation circle uh, two years back
0: amazing so i want to dig into a couple of areas so obviously you you had to do sort of financial study, etc. We went into banking, you know, you've got big brands there, Merrill Lynch, Standard Chartered, DBS, etc. Now, when you decided and had that opportunity to kind of like reflect, etc, was there pressure on you at that time to just go into something else? Because I don't know, I hear this, especially from... You know, Indian friends. There's sometimes pressures from parents, expectations, and other things. Did you have those pressures, or or was it more that you'd kind of because you've been established long enough in finance, you 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 were you were given that you know you felt you had the the, the freedom to. To reflect and to to see just what what else was out there.
1: Yeah. So thankfully there was no pressure from mm-hmm. from family or or otherwise. Yes. In the Indian system, there's always pressure because there are certain kind of you know streams that you take up, which you're very very well aware of as well. You know, you get into yeah. you your MBA, you do your engineering, and so on yeah. and so forth. And which is, I think, why I. I I I got into investment banking in the first place. I was clueless at that time. I had no idea what investment banking was all about. Oh, really? Because it was, yeah. I mean, I was, what, 23 years old? Yeah. And this is, you know, uh, back in the day. So I didn't have much of an idea, but just because it was the in thing, I sort of went ahead and and, Mm -hmm. and did it. And to be honest, I enjoyed it as well. Yeah. uh, Just to, to start off, but it, it, but there came a point when I, as I mentioned, I wanted to try, see what else was out there, and uh, the situation allowed me to do so. So there were no pressures as such. It's just that during that period there was that constant internal sort of the internal pressure that you know one puts on themselves. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, you know, I have this stellar degree, and I have this stellar background. What am I doing with my life? You know, what is coming next? So that yeah. kind of internal pressure was there. But thankfully, nothing else. And then. Uh, and I think it has really worked. If I look back, um, it, it, having that sort of, a, that of that sort of support from family and from my husband and, and everybody else was played a huge role. Because uh, I mean, um, given where I am now, I, I wouldn't have done it any other way.
0: Yeah, and so you started with with volunteer work, was it initially when you when you made the jump?
1: That's right, but that was just uh, for a couple of months, though. Because mm-hmm. once UBS came in, then I joined them as a consultant. They wanted I see. To come on board as a consultant,
0: and I guess that was the big transition in a way because you you could sort of talk the the, the banking language and had already kind of understood Ashoka as um, you know how the system worked. What were one of um, or two, or I mean, can you give us a, an idea of the kinds of things that that were you were getting exposure to at Ashoka that you'd never seen before um you know in your banking world
1: Well I would say the uh, I, I, you know the, the first Ashoka fellow that I met and I read about and I still give him a lot of credit I work with him today but I still give him a lot of credit for getting me to make that shift in my mind that this is what I want to do and uh, this is a gentleman by the name of David Green He is a healthcare entrepreneur and uh, what what David did and this was back in the 90s and you know when I read about it, when I joined Ashoka and when I met him and it opened my mind to new realities which I never knew existed. So what uh, David did was that he launched a project in India to provide um, equipment for cataract surgeries. So these are the lenses that are used for cataract surgeries. Okay. Prior to his work, cataract surgeries were absolutely unaffordable for the majority of people in India that needed them. And we're talking millions Mm -hmm. of people, right, who earn less than probably $2 a day. And the surgery cost was probably in a couple of hundreds, right? And so it was absolutely unaffordable for them. And the main reason for this high cost of surgery was the cost of the lens, the intraocular lens that is used. Mm -hmm. So what David did was that he found a way to reduce the cost of the lens. Same quality, same type, but he reduced the price by more than 90%. Wow! And as a result of that, the surgery cost was slashed by a huge percentage, and it enabled cataract surgeries for millions of people in low-income communities in India, right? Mm-hmm. And and this has scaled to various. His technology has scaled to various countries, and literally every year, millions of surgeries are done for the poor using the lens that that David manufactured right and he set up a facility in india to do so as well it's called aurolab mm-hmm. and, um, and and what david did after that uh, was extremely interesting as well so he knew the potential of the technology and it was already helping millions of people in india but he knew that to scale such a technology so that other countries and other you know um, hospitals in different parts of the world could use it he knew that he needed funding to be able to do so right and yeah. so i would say david was very ahead of his time. And he actually launched an eye care fund in partnership with Ashoka and Deutsche Bank at that time, which was designed for projects that could utilize this technology. And I would say it was probably one of the first impact funds of its time uh, when it was done. And, you know, what David says is that at that time, he had no idea if there would be any takers for something like this, right? An impact right. fund, people had no idea about impact. And he thought at the most, they'll be able to raise perhaps a million or two, you know, mm-hmm. to get this going. And they actually ended up raising $30 million at that wow. point, which was huge.
0: <laughs> it's amazing.
1: And, yeah. And uh, it, was, it was a debt fund. So they went out to make loans, all of which were fully repaid with interest. And of course, the impact has been, has been tremendous, right? So this example kind of made things very clear. Firstly, just working with David was like, I'm, this was incredible uh, to, to be able to work with, with you know, with David um, after that as well. But mm-hmm. it kind of made things clear for me, which is firstly the power of social innovation, right? What David mm-hmm. came up with the with the intraocular lens. And the fact that this innovation could lie anywhere in the value chain, it need not mm-hmm. be just in the product or, you know, what's the service that, you come up, that you've come up with. It could be in the, in the manufacturing side of things, it could be mm-hmm. in the delivery side of things. So, you know, when we think of innovation, it has to be broader than the typical understanding that people have around innovation. And the fact that solutions can be scaled effectively, but they need funding, right? They need funding. Funding is such a critical factor and that there are thousands of entrepreneurs like David who need this kind of support. They're doing amazing Mm -hmm. work, but they aren't finance or business people. So they need people who understand business, who understand finance and can speak that language and help, um, you know, to to speak in front of investors and explain the business model. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, kind of show that you can create social impact while creating financial sustainability and profitability and I would say that was kind of the turning point for my career as well because when Mm -hmm. I saw this I said yes this there is a place for me in this ecosystem
0: amazing I mean first of all what incredible work David's been doing because like (laughs) um like your site is something you absolutely take for granted uh yeah. until maybe it starts uh not being perfect. And um like can you imagine how life changing that, that you oh, know absolutely. that 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 is for for people, especially um, you know, without access to the kind of cost well, without health proper healthcare and, and without the ability to 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 fix their their eyesight. So that's amazing. Did you find you were coaching the startups, supporting the startups to kind of translate this amazing work into viable financial opportunities for The banking side or were you trying to kind of bring the banking side to the opportunity that that social entrepreneurship offered at that time when you were when you were still
1: there yeah so um our work at Ashoka was primarily um you know with the social entrepreneurs so really supporting them in getting investment ready so it was you know running a lot of courses and training programs and accelerators um and doing a lot of one-to-one coaching as well to get them Mm -hmm. to a point where they could start speaking with investors Mm -hmm. and as is the case with social organizations and this is where it differs from probably commercial investments. And because I've been on both sides, I can compare the work starts much early, you really have to work with them right from the point of okay, what is what is the mission that you're working on? What's your vision for the world? Okay, what's your theory of change? You know, tell me about the products, your business model. You know, you have to go through everything yeah. and get them ready. And uh, typically how we, how we worked with them was um, to get them ready and then get them to start meeting investors. And I, I would say the ecosystem at that point, and I think largely now, though things are changing, was more angels Mm-hmm. Um, investing uh, in, in, in social impact and some impact funds that had started coming about uh, but doing a lot of collaborations with banks um, if, if that is specifically you know what 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 you would want to know wasn't that easy to come about of course off late you've seen a lot of blue bonds and green bonds and all of that coming about mm-hmm. but essentially the kind of work we did was more around uh, private investments right so it was more in the domain of angels and uh, impact funds
0: yeah, so important, angels. Did you did you find yourself dabbling in uh, any angel investments yourself or was, did that feel like a conflict?
1: Uh, no, 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 I've done them myself, yes. Yeah, I've been yeah. investing for a few years. So, yeah. Well. Yes.
0: Amazing. So I know yourself and your colleague were at Ashoka. So tell me about that transition to the genesis, if you like, of social innovation circle.
1: Right, right. So yes, exactly. So so me and my two co-fo- co-founders, actually. So yeah. I would say we are a team of um, impact investors uh, with think with, mm-hmm over 20 years of investing experience and uh, specifically we specialize in social finance, which, which is what I mentioned, which comes on the back of this investing history as well as the fact that we've worked together for many years training and coaching social entrepreneurs, right? And again, how, how they can develop fundraising strategies and, and raise raise investment. So um, this unique experience of ours, actually, it puts us in the in a, in a kind of a sweet spot of having extensive uh, practical knowledge of being investors ourselves Mm -hmm. and having worked with entrepreneurs on fundraising, right? So what we do at Social Innovation Circle is we coach both funders and founders on on what we've learned through this journey. We share our knowledge, our know-how in how funders and founders can be effective impact innovators. So we run courses, trainings, workshops, accelerators for social entrepreneurs, for impact investors, for fund managers, even for like you know corporate employees and universities and so on mm-hmm. and then we have an investing arm which is called social innovations uh, innovation capital uh, through which we make investments into a select number of social entrepreneurs or social enterprises that, that we've worked with or trained through the year, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and 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 in if I can add to that, what we've also created as an extension uh, to, to our capital arm is a kind of a syndicate of trusted angel investors with who we um, co-share deals. And the objective is, of course, this may be access and share quality deals, but we also... Um, it also helps in increasing the flow of capital into these social enterprises right yeah So, if you were to kind of visualize this circle i mean we call ourselves social innovation circle so it's essentially a circle and it has four key pillars which is you know coaching capital concepts and community and it's kind of like a virtuous cycle that feeds into each other constantly and it's a very unique business model in in that sense because if you start with the pillar of capital rather than looking for investees to invest capital into, we've created a model where we train and coach social entrepreneurs and then we invest and we we, we pick uh, a few out of them that we want to invest in. And that is where the capital arm comes into play. So that's the second, second sort of pillar mm-hmm. around that. Yeah. And, uh, whatever and, and, and you know all of this which is uh, the coaching and capital investment because we continue advising our investees it helps us to stay updated with with new business models with new ideas new innovations it helps us to refresh our our, our content so that goes back into all the content that we build, right so as I yeah. mentioned it's a cycle that feeds into each other and then finally our our objective is to create a community right we want to bring investors and investees together mm-hmm. uh, and, and and the effort is to create a community of impact innovators. And that's essentially what we're trying to achieve with with social innovation.
0: Do you find that you're leading that concept stage in terms of as you're a capital investor as well, are you like going, oh, well, this is an area of social impact for the, you know, let's pick one gender diversity or whatever it might be inclusion mm-hmm. like you do you find yourself almost starting uh, researching an area and then trying to find founders or are you more founder-led where the founders are coming with all their different concepts and you're basically coaching them to get them investable <laughs> which way tends to
1: yeah so so because our kind of the funnel starts from coaching and when mm-hmm. it comes to coaching, we are sector agnostic, right? Because when it okay. comes to social finance, it works for everyone. So we are sector agnostic as far as coaching is concerned. Of course, if any of our clients wants to do an accelerator in healthcare, we'll go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are not uh, kind of married to just a couple of sectors. Yeah. Um, so so it, it kind of starts from there. And as you rightly said, it, it begins with the founder. If, if it has to translate into investment, it always begins with who the founder is. What is the social problem that they are solving? How passionate mm-hmm. they are about you know, pursuing the social mission? What yeah. is their deep understanding of the social problem? So it always begins from there. And then if, if, through our conversations, through our understanding of their work, their innovation, if it leads to investment, then great. But otherwise, yes, a large part of what we do is we're training um, the, the entrepreneurs so that they, can, they, they become financially sustainable and can raise funding in the future.
0: Amazing. So uh, it's sort of a flywheel that you're trying to create, mm. right? Where you're, you're bringing in, uh, of course, community is such a big part of it, because the, the word of mouth you get from the social innovators who you've helped and who have you've potentially also invested in, uh, I'm sure that brings more People to the table, and it's kind of uh, creating a, a, a happy circle of, of of more customers as well. So, so what's your what's your most um, like the courses you do? What's your most popular course? Just out of interest,
1: our flagship course is called Financing Your Impact. So that's a course that we run in house, in the sense that that's mm-hmm. that's an F that's an SIC offering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is for social entrepreneurs. Again, it's investment readiness, but it's it's got a broader perspective than that. It's really to understand, okay, how do you finance, as the term says, how do you finance your impact, right? And that mm-hmm. can mean... Various things that can mean how can you think about revenue diversification as a way to to sponsor um, your organization uh, to, to fund your organization that can mean uh, exploring different ways of funding and not just relying on investment. So it's a bit broader in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do a lot of accelerators and partnerships with some of the key clients that we've been working with over, over the right. last many years. Right. Um, and and some of them are sectoral, some of them are not. But obviously, all of them are, are kind of grounded in social finance.
0: And some of the uh, some may be like corporates and things or is it more? Yes. In, yeah. So so you'll help a corporate to uh, who's got, say, a specific SDG or area that they're looking to create, you know, yeah. or, or help sponsor innovation inside of.
1: Yes, absolutely. So perhaps I can give an example. In mm-hmm. fact, that's an accelerator we are running right now. Mm-hmm. And it's with an organization called Boringer Ringelheim. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a which is a healthcare um, uh, you know um, uh, in the healthcare sector and we've been working with them for the last many I think five to seven years now and they have a huge uh, initiative in Africa which is called Making More Health Mm -hmm. and uh, what they do every year is that they select social social enterprises in healthcare in Africa and uh, they support them in various ways one being that they help them to launch a pilot as part of the organization that's already running, but a separate pilot project. And they give them all the support that is needed to see if the pilot would take off. Mm -hmm. And if there is potential in the pilot, then they offer them scale-up support as well. And separate to that, they also offer investment readiness support to these ventures. So we've been working on this investment readiness, readiness accelerator as part of this Making More Health program for the last five to seven years. And this year, we're also supporting them on the pilot project. So this is you know, just one of the examples of how we how we typically work with with corporates. So, I mean, it could be uh, again. UBS is one of our key clients, and we we've been supporting you know uh, UBS Global Visionaries for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. So we run workshops for them. We do one-to-one coaching for them, especially when they are getting ready to pitch to investors. So that's typically the model around which we operate. Um, you know, the, the training side of things.
0: And and you've done over like, uh, well, I was looking at your website. It's quite impressive the amount you've you've um, had over eighty five thousand downloads of your courses. You you've helped people in forty countries, raise over two hundred and sixty million, and and um, coached over two hundred innovators. Are there are there categories or or um, areas that that you guys are particularly hot on or is it is it pretty broad like what what sort of um founders uh, would would sit under those 200 what what are the kind of things they're doing
1: uh, well it it, it is uh, broad uh, but but having said that, there are certain sectors that we worked a lot more on, certain sectors that we ourselves, given that we are investors as well, yeah. are more interested in. I mean, healthcare is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Food tech is, is all, you know, the kind of innovations that are coming up in agri-tech, food tech. That's yeah. another sector. Climate resilience. have done a lot of work in education. So, yes, there are a few sectors that we worked more around. Uh, But again, as far as trainings are concerned, we are quite sector agnostic. And given the fact that we were at Ashoka previously and we worked with uh, Ashoka's present in, in, they have Ashoka uh, fellows in more than 90 countries, right? So we got exposed to fellows working in, in all parts of the world on different kind of business model, different kind of market conditions. And I think that was very valuable and it really informs the work that we do today at SIC.
0: So you still kind of work with them?
1: Oh, yes. Ashoka is one of our biggest partners still. So <laughs> yeah. All, all, yeah. So we we do we still do a lot of trainings for Ashoka Fellows and uh, any kind of social finance projects that Ashoka has, uh, we support them on that.
0: And you've been in this sort of space quite some time now. Like, what are there any things that you've seen, say, since you were joining Ashoka in 2016-ish? Like, are there are there like major developments that you've witnessed or areas where you think that the the community or the ecosystem that we'd call impact investing has moved on or do you think it's it, it's been relatively static
1: well I, I think I think that that can be answered in a couple of different ways because uh, it's about where impact investing was. And is now and where it should go ideally. Mm-hmm. And also in terms of geographies as well, right? Like I'm in Singapore. I work a lot with European um, in, in, in the European context as well. And there is a difference in terms of maturity when it comes to impact investing in Europe and in Asia. But uh, there is, But that also means there's a lot of opportunity in Asia to kind of do more but if i were to kind of uh, put my finger on, on on how impact investing is evolving there are a couple of things that i can talk about um i mean firstly where 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 um, ideally you know i would i would and that's my own perspective on you know sort of where i would want to see it grow uh, from where it is now mm-hmm. is to kind of have more of a problem solving approach uh, so most of the funds and i'll explain what that means because most of the funds that we see around are Primarily sectoral, right? So, okay, we invest in water and sanitation and, you know, we invest in education, we invest in healthcare, but... That approach, it it rarely solves problems. It supports social enterprises, of course. It it you know, you give them funding and you help them deliver deliver impact, but it doesn't solve social problems, right? Mm. And to solve social problems, what impact investing needs to evolve towards is to have this sort of a problem solving approach, right? How do we invest in a way that actually solves a social problem? Mm-hmm. And it really can't be about investing in ten different education companies because that is your sectoral focus it needs mm-hmm. to be more about what is the problem within the education sector that you want to solve right like let's say uh if i were to give an example in in from from let's say india i mean just picking something up like how can we reduce the gender inequity in in education in let's say south india or west mm-hmm. india or whatever that is i mean mm-hmm. the statistics 20 percent of the girls go to school vis-a-vis 70 percent boys going to school right so mm-hmm how would you how would you kind of reduce that gap right and 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 if you have this kind of an approach this would require you to study the entire value chain of the problem right and identify mm-hmm. where the gaps are once you identify the gaps you figure out what are the ventures that are you know uh, that have solutions to fill those gaps and then you fund them with the right kind of capital with the capital that they need and so if you were Purely sectoral in your approach, you will probably only be investing in education, ventures and schools and colleges and so on. Yeah. But if you have a problem solving approach, you will break down the problem. You will see what are the different contributors to it, right? Like, for example, uh, how can you get more girls to sign up? That's one. Mm-hmm. Now, once you get girls to sign up, how do you keep them in school? Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe at that point, you will perhaps invest in uh, 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 maybe a nutrition company. I mean, we all know that there are so many nutrition programs that have started with the intention of of keeping children in school. Right. And we've seen yeah. a lot of that happen in India as well. Uh, the, you know, you, you you send your daughter to school and she gets a free meal, you know, these free meal mm-hmm. programs that, that are happening. And uh, maybe you will invest in a uh, and then this is a very interesting one um, uh, in, in, a, in a solar energy company. And this comes on the back of one of the ventures in, um, in, in I'm, I'm trying to recollect, but somewhere in mm-hmm. Africa, mm-hmm. where they started tying up with schools, providing um, mobile phone charging kiosks in schools, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the objective was that you, so, so of course, we know the mobile phone revolution, everyone has mobile phones, but still millions and millions of people are living in off-grid areas. So even if they have mobile phones, they can't charge them they can't mm-hmm. use them and so they are still dis- disconnected from the digital economy so what this solar company did was that it partnered with schools as an incentive uh for children to bring in the mobile phones to school so that they could charge
2: okay right? yeah
1: interesting I mean, I mean this is what keeps me going on it's right? so cool this,
2: right
1: <laughs> yeah uh, so 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 if you had now if you were a fund who had this kind of a mm-hmm. problem solving approach mm-hmm. your portfolio will not look like 10 Education companies. It would Mm -hmm. probably have an education company. It would probably have a nutrition company. Yeah. It would probably have a solar energy company. But that's how you solve problems, right? Yeah. So uh, I mean, that's maybe some. Well, hopefully, that's where it will evolve to at some point. I mean, having said that, of course, there's a lot of work happening. More needs to happen, but with this kind of a problem focused approach or you know looking at it from a solutions lens is what would act what will actually solve social problems
0: and that is what we always talk about in venture capital mm-hmm. and other things which is like oh problem solution that should be like your first slide but it mm-hmm. feels to me like like you say very sectorally focused like mm-hmm. people have the areas that they you know that are on pieced off piste whatever for for their particular investment lens and because of market opportunity and market sizing you would not think maybe um sending girls to school in South India is, you know, particularly attractive from, from uh, a market opportunity perspective. Mm. So do you think a lot of it is around, it's easier to create a digital platform for people in developed markets and have more confidence of a, of a financial return? Like, or, or, you know, I mean, these, some of these problems are seen as kind of more social governmental whatever that that should be fixed by that rather than entrepreneurs who are who are stepping up and kind of addressing these social challenges where where do you I mean I love what you've just described it's very Mm -hmm. exciting because actually there's so many you know really out there in different ways that that some of these problems could be addressed but we seem to go in a kind of cookie cutter approach often when I see some some portfolios it's like oh yeah this is you know you're you're into food or whatever and these are exactly the kind of things I would expect to see in your portfolio so you're getting exposure perhaps to much more um, creative almost approaches. Is the money going to come from philanthropy? Is it going to come from governments? Is it going to come from corporate sector starting to really understand their 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 kind of purpose in in the economy as well as like how they deliver beyond just ca- capital returns to, to their stakeholders? Where do you see this going based on this lens and this exposure that you're getting in parts of the world that are are currently underfunded?
1: Well, to be honest, it can come from all kinds of players in the ecosystem, right, at various levels. And uh, I, I, well, if you start with, um, and as you rightly said, I think the the problem is with the kind of perspective and approach that we have currently, which is a very cookie cutter based approach, and it follows your typical commercial kind of investment where the focus lies on discussions around different aspects. So there has to be a change in thinking around. What, what is important? What what needs to be focused on when it comes to when it comes to the impact sector? But I think another big shift in perspective is required um, from 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 the point of view of understanding that these opportunities can be huge economic opportunities as well. So whether we are bringing corporates on board or we are talking about you know impact funds, VCs, or whoever these opportunities can really unlock. We know bottom of pyramid market is is a Mm multi-trillion dollar economic opportunity. So even if someone was to see it that way, it's just about understanding the value proposition and not just looking at it as uh, some sort of a Mm -hmm. metric to tick, right? Okay, impact or ESG or whatever that is. But looking at what is the value proposition that can be unlocked if you were to invest in something something like this. And uh, I mean, a couple of examples actually come to my mind. For example, you know, back in the day when, when, um, uh, you know, the solar energy was sort of making the rounds, right? And it was very expensive. And uh, even people who wanted to kind of, who were clued into the ideas, uh, idea of solar energy or believed in it, they weren't in enough investable mm-hmm. opportunities at that time because it was, it was expensive. But then markets changed, right? Prices dropped. As a result of which innovation came in, more technology, uh, te- uh, technology-related business models came in, which unlocked the business um uh, mm-hmm. which unlocked the sector completely and, and 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 as an example not only did the the crash in price provide affordability but things like mobile phones which were earlier seen as a way for just communication they became a way for mm-hmm. microfinance payments right digital microfinance payments which increased affordability for those who earned less than 2 to 3 dollars a day and that has revolutionized the solar energy consumption sector, right? We've seen so many organizations that work on that basis. You know, pay as you go, go yeah. service came as a result of that. So the the, the technology, it 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 or oh, it it opened up. New business models and those new business models led to, you know, absolute changes in the sectors uh, that we that, that that you know they came about in. So just having that mindset that this is a project in social in in, in let's say south of India or whatever it is at the bottom of the pyramid, last and we'll probably only the government should be looking at it. That's a very old way of looking at things. It could be a huge business opportunity as well, and that is why if you are into investing, you need to have this sort of an outlook. You need to be persistent to to watch where the next innovation is coming from
0: you know fascinated by this whole area because you know just i i I started out in telecoms and and um just seeing how much cheaper obviously everything's become but to think that that would trigger the kind of changes that you're talking about is super exciting because you know it's we just take a you know we take for granted our phone etc but it's it's shocking actually to think that someone on one or two dollars a day is is charging a mobile phone going into school or or has a solar you know uh, charger or something like that being able to use that and it, it really does change the game in some sense because if you know we're not no longer talking about people in poverty that, that are, are not connected they are actually connected and there's opportunities to create quite exciting ways to tap into to to that. Massive market bottom of the pyramid as you described that will be socially progressive for them that will stimulate economic development that will also bring their children and families into new opportunities of of better education of you know better jobs and a future that you know is certainly you know more decarbonized or or at least more in harmony with, than than that what we're currently seeing with this sort of top down approach so that. That I think everything you've described has just been absolutely fascinating. I'm really glad you you sort of spent the time with us. Who are there? Anyone you're trying to reach out to? Is there people that should be getting in touch with Social Innovation Circle and tapping into this wonderful knowledge? Like um, perhaps you could um, you know just share uh, a- anyone you'd like to speak to through this medium.
1: So so basically anybody who's interested in the field of impact, right? We are a circle, we are a community. We would love to welcome anyone and everyone who's interested in learning more, who's interested in participating, who's interested in contributing. So yes, our doors are open. And uh, I mean, personally, I'm very active on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to reach out, very happy to connect with them. Amazing.
0: uh, We'll make sure your uh, contact is on the show notes. Um, Anshul, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, tell us about your journey. And thank you for the amazing work that you're doing with Social Innovation Circle.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure uh, being here today and speaking with you. Thank you.